Well, this, this uh, evening, um, I want to talk to us about a concept. It was actually a concept that I read about in the book of Jude um, a little while ago. Anybody in here read the, ever read the book of Jude? Anybody? It's a real short book. It's crazy. Um, and a little while ago, I was reading it, and, you know, like I try to do every single day, and he made this one statement throughout the, the book, and he talked about this idea of fighting for faith. And it's one of those things, you ever have that where you know you read something, but you know that it's something different because it just keeps ringing on the inside of you. And so I, I did a little bit of a study on it, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And that's what I want to take a little bit of time to do tonight is to talk to us about this concept of fighting for faith or fighting for the faith or that we're in a fight and we need to fight if we're going to see success and see the blessing. And so if you don't mind, I want to jump right in. So we're actually going to read from 1 Timothy, not Jude, um, because I like the way that Paul says it to Timothy, uh, not necessarily more than I like it when he says it to Jude, but I just like the wording in Timothy. Now, let me give you a little bit of background history of what's happening here, because I, I, I think that there's an interesting perspective. Would you mind turning me down a little? I feel like I'm just like echoing in myself. Uh, there's a little bit of an interesting perspective that I want us to catch in is that when, when Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy, this was, uh, Paul had just gotten out of jail, okay? We, we know that Paul had had so many negative things happen to him, probably the most negative things about just about anybody in the Bible. I mean, he lists off all the bad stuff that had happened to him. And at this point, when he was writing this letter to Timothy, he had just gotten out of jail for the first time. And one of the things that I was thinking about was when you're in jail, I've never been in jail, but I can imagine, right? I've been camping, right? And I feel like camping is a lot like jail um, in the sense that there's nothing to do, right? Your phone doesn't work and, you know, you, you don't have any electricity and nothing. So I feel like well, I went camping and so it's probably like jail in the sense that there's nothing to really do except to be alone with your thoughts and think about things, okay? And so as Paul is just getting out of jail, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, it would be like you ever go away on vacation or something and the Lord has been speaking to you? Maybe not. It happens to ministers a lot that when you go away on vacation and you come back, you're just so hype with what God is saying that, and you feel like the revelation that you got is the most important thing. And if everybody could get the revelation that you've got, the whole world would be changed. Okay. And so I'm imagining that's the way that Paul is feeling at this point. He's had a lot of time on his own. He's been in jail for a while, and he's been meditating. He's been talking to the Lord. And the response to that is, we get this letter that he writes to Timothy. And throughout the letter, he writes really a, a fairly generic letter, right? He opens it up like he always does, you know, I, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, and does his introduction. And then he writes a fairly, I don't want to say generic because that sounds negative, but it is kind of generic in the sense that he's sort of just writing about church rules and regulations. And, you know, Timothy at this point, he's in Ephesus and he's leading a church there. And so Paul is kind of writing to him about church stuff. But then when we get to the end of the chapter or, or the end of, of, of this section, uh, Paul says something and it's in 1 Timothy 6. So it's at the end of, at the, end of the book. And so at this moment, he kind of takes, you know, he does for the, the, you know, five and a half chapters, six and a half chapters, he's talking about rules and regulations, he's kind of talking about business, and then it's kind of like he gets real with Timothy. Like he takes this last moment to, what I would say is, share with Timothy 
just something that's on his heart, right? It's like he steps out of, you know, Paul the Apostle and into, you know, Paul the Pastor, or maybe like Paul the friend, in the sense that he's, gonna, he's about to tell Timothy, really, uh, what I would say is he spent all this time in jail, and he's about to give Timothy this tidbit of information that, like me when I go on vacation, he's sure that if Timothy can get this revelation, that his whole life is going to change, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's that thing. It's like, of all the things that I could say to you, this is what I feel like is the most important thing that I'm going to say. And he makes this statement in, in 1 Timothy 6.12. And I don't even love just preaching out of one scripture, but I love this one scripture. As he says this to him in 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, Fight the good fight of faith. And so from Paul's whole time in jail, he makes this statement as though this is and all the time that he's had to spend, and all the thinking time, and meditation time, and all the time in his relationship with the Lord through this period of time, he comes to Timothy, and this is what he has to say. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. You know, I think about this sometimes, um, because, you know, as much as you might look at me, and I'm happy, and I'm, you know, sometimes I tell people that I used to not be so happy, I used to actually be mean, and I used to actually even get in fist fights, okay? And that's true, right? I'm a man like that. I know you look at me and you can never believe it because I am, you know, gentle as a lamb, okay? But it's true. I had a little bit of a wild season, but I remember the, this time, it was actually the last time I ever got into a fist fight. And this was a long time ago. It wasn't like a story from last week. It was probably a story from, it was over 10 years ago now. Thank you, Jesus, I've been redeemed. Um, but actually, this fight wasn't a fight that I even wanted to fight. Let me give you a little bit of backstory on what happened. Um, I remember I went to this, it was a black and white tie affair, okay? So first of all, black and white tie affair, going to a fight, you know, it's like, it, they don't really kind of go hand in hand at all. And so I remember we were at this thing, I was with a whole bunch of my friends at the time, and we were just having a good time, okay? So we were loud and we were being rowdy, and you know how you can get, right, when you, you know, you're around your good friends, and, you know, maybe you're like a little food drunk or maybe a little drunk drunk, right? I don't remember where I was at that point in my life, but I was something drunk. And we were like just, we were laughing and we were having so much fun and we were being just rowdy like wild animals, okay? And I remember there was a table that was beside us and they were not into it, right? You ever have that, like there's always a party pooper at every party, this was a whole a table full of party poopers. And they were so bummed at us that we were having such a good time. You know, maybe it was that they wished they were at our table having a good time, but whatever it was, they were not, they weren't cool with the fact that we were having such a good time. And so they were constantly heckling us. And you know how it happens, right? Like they heckle you and you heckle them. And we were doing it as a joke. But what I later would find out was that they were not joking. Like, not joking, okay? And so the night had gone on, and things had happened, and we had a good time, and all of us got up. The night was over, and we got ready to leave. And so we left this whole thing, and, it, you know, we were walking out, and we're in the parking lot, and we're still laughing, and we're still joking. And this other group of people followed us because they were looking for trouble. We didn't know it. And so they were kind of shouting at us, and we were shouting at them, and we're just thinking it's a, just a gay old time, right? Like, we're just having fun. And it didn't happen that way. 
So what happens is, is that a, literally a fight breaks out, right? It's like West Side Story. And our two groups are clashing. And this wasn't a snap battle or a dance battle. This was a fist fight. And it was crazy, okay? And I was kind of older than the majority of the people at, at, at that, like a little bit older. And so I was thinking, I'm going to step in and kind of break this up, right? Because, you know, little did I know, okay? So I'm thinking, I'm going to step in and I'm going to break it up. And I remember, I kind of stepped forward and literally within a split second, I got punched right in the face, okay? And it was crazy, okay? And this whole thing happened, and that's where I'm going to end the story, because I did a lot of things that night, and turning the other cheek wasn't one of them. So <laughs> we're going to move on beyond that. But my point of telling you, that my point of telling you this story is so that we can laugh and think about, you know, thank God I've been redeemed. Um, but the reality is, is that the most of us, the majority of us, or if I could be so bold as to say all of us are in a fight. But if we don't know, like myself in this story, that we're in a fight, we can get knocked around and potentially knocked down, but we're fighting a fight that we were destined to win. And I think that as we're talking about the blessing and we're talking about what God is desiring to do in our life, one of the things that I constantly have to remind myself of is that when Israel went into the promised land, like when they stepped into their place of blessing and promise, that was actually the moment when their battle began, right? You, you know the story? Right, so the Israelites are marching around, you know, they get freed from Egypt, and it's a big celebration, and they go out into the wilderness, and they wander around for 40 years, but none of that time is spent fighting. Now they finally get to their promised land, God says, go in, and what are they met with? They're met with a fight. They're met with a battle, and sometimes I think what can happen to us is we think about as we're talking about the blessing, as we're talking about going into our promised land, sometimes we can forget that we have to remain on guard against the enemy to fight against what the enemy would desire to do in our life. And just like me in this fight that I was in, if I, because I wasn't prepared for the fight, I was an easy target for somebody who was prepared to fight against me, okay? And so this is what I want to talk a little bit about tonight because I believe this is what the Apostle Paul was talking to Timothy about. He was reminding him that in the midst of everything that's going on, in as good as things can be, and as, you know, we're, we're looking like we're going up, we're looking like we're going into the promised land, the Apostle Paul was reminding Timothy, Timothy, stay on guard because you're in a fight. And so I want to talk a little bit about this because we can talk so much about God and we can talk so much about what God has done and what Jesus did on the cross for us, that he's made the way, he's paved the way for the blessing for us, but we have to constantly remind ourselves that it's not God alone, that it's in my partnership with me doing my part of what God is asking me to do alongside with God's power and what he did 2,000 years ago, that partnership is the thing in my life that unlocks the blessing of God in my life. You see, grace won the war, right? 
Thank you, Jesus, that when he went to the cross and he hung on the cross and he declared, it is finished, he won every battle, right? I love this, this statement that the cross answers yes to every question I could have, right? Does God want me to be healthy? Yes. Does God want me to prosper? Yes. Does God want me to have good relationships? Yes. And we can stand on that because of the victory that Jesus won on the cross. But there is a part that I play in these battles as I walk myself from where I am to the promise of where God says I can be. Because battles come simply to get me to step away from what Jesus already purchased for me. That's what battles come to do. They come to try to make me think that what Jesus did wasn't enough for what I need him to be in this moment. That he died for me, but uh, I got knocked down, and so it must not be. He died for me, but I have sickness in my body, so it must not be. He died for me, but, 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 but. And like Creflo Dollar says, what we're going to do today is we're going to get our butts out of the way, right? And let God be God, and let his word do what it's supposed to do, but we're going to partner with him tonight because we understand what God is saying to us, right? Because when I stand in the midst of a fight, it, 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 I get in cooperation with what Jesus already did, okay? That his power in me, it's not his power alone, but it's his power in me and through me that's going to win the battle, that's going to win the fight, that's going to get me to my promise. So he needs me to remain standing in the midst of the fight, not because I have to do it on my own, but because he needs my cooperation in order to get me through the place where, where, where I currently may be finding myself right now. Can I get an amen? But if I'm not prepared, if I'm not prepared for the fight, Jesus, I mean, he's got an amazing life for me. He's got an amazing life for you. I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11 makes it very plain to us where he says, I know the plans that I have for you and they're good. They're plans to prosper you and give you a good future, right? God would have it that what none would perish, but that all would live what a, a sozo life, that we all would live life on earth Jesus told the disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, not when we get to heaven, but that we would bring heaven to earth. I mean, heaven looks good on earth. Heaven looks good in your body. Heaven looks good in your bank accounts. And the reality is, is that I must partner with what Jesus did so that I can experience the blessing of what he purchased for me, okay? So it's not my own power, but when I stand and fight for what is mine, I can have it because it's already been won for me, okay? It was like I was talking to somebody in the internship the other day. They're asking questions. You know, we were talking about faith and action and, you know, should I step out in faith, you know, or should I step out in action before I have the faith or should I wait for the faith to step out in the action, right? But we know that the scripture tells us that you can't differentiate the both of them, right? And it's the same thing in this, is that it's not more of Jesus and less of me. It's not more of me and less of Jesus. But what? It's a partnership between the two of us. That I do what I do and he does what he does. You know, thank God he does the heavy lifting. Okay? But unless I'm putting myself constantly in a place, uh, uh, he could have amazing plans for me and I, I won't necessarily experience them. Okay? And we see this constantly throughout scriptures, right? We, we're reading it in Timothy and we're talking about the Israelites, but we see it constantly throughout scriptures of where people in the scriptures did amazing things. Like we're talking about overcame odds that were insurmountable, 
that they did things that in, in natural terms would be impossible. I mean, we could go down the line in every story in the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament included, but if we talk about the Old Testament, you could talk about it for five minutes, right? Like how about how Noah built a boat at a time where they, nobody had ever built a boat before, right? What about David when he's facing a uh, trained giant in battle, right? What about Daniel as he's in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they get thrown in the fiery furnace, right? We realize from this that the Bible is full of people. It's full of stories of people who did things, who defied the odds. But what they understood was very simple. They understood how to stand in the midst of the trial, how to stand in the midst of the difficulty. And it was through the standing, right? It's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said as they were there. They said, you know, if you could throw us in the fire furnace, then that's fine because we know that our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, what they were prepared to stand regardless of what things looked like. And so we must remember simply that faith is a fight, so we can't quit at the first sign of opposition. It's like the saying, right? If at first you don't succeed, what? Quit. Oh, no, right. It doesn't say that. Right. If at first you don't succeed, what? Try, try again. Okay? And so faith works, right? It's a, it's a place that we have to, as we're talking about the blessing and as we're harping on this idea of understanding the blessing, I talked about it the last time I preached is that, or two times ago, I think, that the very first thing that we have to do is we have to become convinced that faith actually works. That as we're talking about the blessing, I have to honestly believe that this is an actual place. You know, it's not just a nice poster and a really great concept that gets people stirred on a Sunday or a Wednesday night. It's actually a place. The promises of God are actually a place. There is a plan to get you to your promise. And so we become convinced that faith works but, and, and that I can have anything that I find in the Bible, right? That it's not just true for some people. It's not just, you know, for the pastors and the ministers. No, the promises of God are for every single person. In every situation that we would find ourselves in, the promises of God are valid and active in our lives. The, 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 the New Testament, when we're talking about prophecy, that says that New Testament prophecy is really the spirit of Jesus, right? It's understanding that if Jesus would do it in somebody's life, that means that he would do it in mine. That if I can find some, somebody in the world that God did something for them that I need him to do in my life, that's a prophetic word to me that God can do that thing in my life, right? Like if I need healing, all I have to do is find somebody else who got healed and I can use their life and their story as if God literally came from heaven and spoke to me about the promises of God. That's what the New Testament is all about, that God is no respecter of person, that what he would do for one, he'll do for all. But what? We have to understand how to stand in the midst of the fight. Because the reality is the enemy doesn't want us to be blessed. But I realized something. You know, I, I can remember saying this, you know, this was years ago that I would say it to my parents, you know, and going through all the difficult things, right, thinking that back then I had problems, right? Like, isn't that funny? How sometimes you look back like 10 years ago at your problems 10 years ago, and now you're like, oh God, if I could have those problems <laughs> instead of these problems, right? But I remember talking to my parents and saying that, you know, uh, can't the devil just leave me alone? You know, I feel like I'm fighting. I wasn't fighting then. 
You know, it's fine. Like I was trying to wake up at 8.30 instead of 9, right? And so it's like, oh, the tribulations, right? Okay. But anyways, I remember that I would say to my parents, right? You know, can't the devil just ever leave me alone? Like, I, can I just have one day of peace, right? But, you know, then I came to realize that all that, the, the only reason the devil would give me peace is because I was no threat to him. You know what I realized is that the, the devil doesn't bother people who are walking their way to hell. The devil doesn't bother people who aren't trying to do anything for God. The devil isn't bothering people who aren't trying to be blessed or they're not trying to help. The devil doesn't bother people like that. And so sometimes we have to realize that the very fact that I have to fight as hard as I have to fight is a simple indication to me that I'm close and the enemy really doesn't want me to get to where I'm going right? What we're seeing as disappointment, what we're seeing as frustration is actually an indication to me that what God is getting ready to do is actually so close that the devil is so threatened that somebody's going to understand who they are and what God is doing for him that he's got to fight against us so hard. And so I realize that now I don't want to say I welcome it, but I'm not afraid of it. I don't let roadblocks, I don't let problems, I don't let troubles get, make me stumble but what in turn they make me excited because I realize that this opposition is simply just a setup for increase. And so I realize that, that the enemy doesn't want me there, but I'm not bothered by that. And when I get knocked down, it simply means that I'm on my way. That's what it means. When that situation doesn't work out for you, when you step out in love to love your husband or your wife and you know, and it doesn't, they don't respond the way you thought. When you, you know, you sow your money into the offering believing and you can't pay your rent that month. Can I tell you something? Don't quit. The very fact that you're experiencing opposition is an indication that you're on your way to victory. And so we see this in faith that we can't quit at the first sign of opposition. We can't quit. Because it's one of those things where we can sometimes feel like when we get knocked down once, it means that we're knocked down for good. When something doesn't work out the way we thought it was supposed to work out the first time, sometimes it can make us feel as though it's over. You know, I've had situations like that in my life, and I know that you have, where you're contending for something and it doesn't happen the first time, and we think that a delay is a denial. But I tell you something, opposition is, it's why Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Because if it wasn't a fight, those would have been wasted words. It wouldn't have been the thing that he would have said in this moment where he can finally pour out his heart to Timothy. But what Paul understood very simply, that if you're going to get to, if you're going to be the person who God has destined you to be, it's going to come with a fight. It's going to come with a struggle. It's going to come with an opposition. And sometimes it could be like I was, you know, talking to Mike and my dad the other day, and we were just talking about uh, just the story of, you know, the farmer. I, I preached about it a little while ago, the farmer who sows the seed. And, you know, he sows the seed, and then it says, you know, he goes to bed, and he wakes up, and he goes to bed, and he wakes up, and he's just totally chill. And sometimes the opposition that we're feeling is, is the waiting game. Sometimes the opposition in our life is failure. Sometimes the opposition of our life is depression. Sometimes the failure in our life is the doc or, or, or the, 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 the fight in our life is the doctor's report, whatever, whatever it is. 
what we fight the good fight of faith. And so this is where we have to see that perspective is everything. Because even something as simple as that, when I realize that when I'm experiencing opposition, when I'm in the middle of the fight, I see the fight and it makes me realize that, well, because I'm in the fight right now and I'm doing what God asked me to do, it simply means that I'm on the road. But, oh, how amazing that perspective change is that now I can fight better because I don't feel like this is, it's over, but I feel like it's just beginning. I see that perspective is everything, right? Because the reality is, is that there's happy poor people and there's sad rich people, right? I mean, there's people on both sides of the coin, but what the reality is perspective and our life is everything. How do you view the situation that you find yourself in? Are you looking at what you have or are you looking at what you don't have? Am I looking at what's working or what's not working? Am I looking at all the times I've fallen or am I looking at all the times I've succeeded? Because the reality is simple, is that if I can continue to keep my perspective focused on the Lord, the scripture says it like this, that Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, that sometimes the easiest way to get faith active in my life is to force myself to continually look at Jesus, to not look at my shortcomings, to not look at my failures, to not look at all the times it didn't work, but I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And as I do that, what happens in my life is it's changing me and my faith is being perfected. And so it's all about perspective. Are you looking at this fight as an obstacle or are you looking at it as though it's a promotion? Because faith sees things that be not as though they were. Faith sees things that be not as though they were. I wish it was the other way. I wish that when Jesus would have asked Peter to get in the boat, that Jesus would have filled the boat and then Peter would have let him borrow it to preach, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish that God would give me a million dollars before he asked me, you know, to give my tithe. I wish that I could just be super healthy and then in my place of being super healthy, then I could believe that God is the healer. Come on, wouldn't that be so easy? But what faith sees those things that be not as though they were. So what my perspective forces me to see this situation in what I want it to be rather than what it is. And what? it begins to change the person that I am. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves then, and I'm almost done, is what are we fighting against? Okay, we're gonna talk about how to fight, but the first thing that we have to talk about is what are we fighting? Because I think that that's the biggest question. And we're not fighting each other, okay? Like, let's just clear that up, okay? We're not fighting each other. Your spouse is not your problem. Your job is not your problem. Right? Your sibling, your body isn't your problem, your bank account isn't your problem, your car isn't your problem. Okay? These things aren't our problems. Okay? The two things that we're, we're fighting against in our life, number one is our old belief systems. That's what we're fighting against. We're fighting against all the times in the past where we thought stumbling meant failure. 
we're fighting against all the times that it didn't work and we thought that it meant failure. Every time that I stepped out to pray for somebody and nothing happened, that's what I'm fighting against. That time that I started the business and it didn't succeed, that's what I'm fighting against. I'm fighting against all the times that would try to tell me that what the word of God says about my future isn't true. That's what I'm fighting against. I'm fighting against every time, you know, that I I didn't take the aspirin and I had a headache all night. That's what I'm fighting against, right? I'm fighting against when I stepped out to love my spouse and they were still mean. That's what I'm fighting against. I'm fighting against in my life the things that would make me feel like my future is going to be the same as my past. That would try to stop me from stepping out to do what God is asking me to do because now I'm afraid that I'm going to go through the same failure that I went through yesterday or the week before or the last business or the last time I went to the doctor. I'm not fighting against people, but I'm fighting against my failures. I'm fighting against my old thought patterns. Because I tell you something, what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep us bound to this natural world. Our past is trying to make us feel as though that's what's possible instead of this is what's possible. But I realized a long time ago that human reasoning and faith are absolutely incompatible with each other. What does Jesus say? He says, if you want friends, be friendly. Incompatible with each other. If you want finances, what? So, give. Incompatible in human reasoning. But what is that? I'm fighting against the old patterns that would try to keep me stuck so that my tomorrow is the same as my yesterday. And the second thing that I'm fighting against is the word tells me that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, what? But we are, what we've been given weapons to fight against are what? Principalities, powers, rulers, what we're fighting against the demonic realm. And I used to think about this like we're fighting the demons, right? And it's like, oh, like we're on guard, you know? And this is like a really popular concept like in the 80s, you know, where we're like fighting against the demons and you know, better watch out. You know, it's like call the Ghostbusters, right? Like you don't know what's happening, but something's happening. But as, as I went down the road and realized this, that we're not fighting against the demons, right? Jesus already won that battle, Right? <laughs> I mean, one of the greatest things that I've realized in, in, in being able to see spiritual things is I realize the extent of the authority that God has given to us. That, like, I see negative things. Like, you know, I try not to say them because, it, like, it's just weird. But I see things, and things will be, like, walking around my house. Like, I can remember when I was, Danielle and I were on our honeymoon, and we were in this really nice room. Like, they upgraded us because it was our honeymoon. And I'm asleep in the middle of the night, and I just woke up. And I saw this giant creature with like horns walking, just pacing around the room, right? And we see these things. But what, and, and I like got the cue from Kenneth Hagin because he would say that there would be like demons that would show up at the end of his bed and he would wake up and he'd be like, oh, it's just you. And he would go back to sleep. And what, the more that I saw that, I realized constantly 
that all I had to do with this giant thing that in other words, I would be freaked out. But you just what? I just pled the blood of Jesus. And what? It was gone. Instantly, it's gone. And so I realized that I'm not fighting against demonic things, right? I'm not fighting against the demons, right? The, the demons aren't going to come in the middle of the night and try to choke you out, okay? Like, that's not what's going to happen, okay? What I'm fighting against is demonic influences in my life, yeah. where, where through my deception, I open the door for the enemy and his lies to be able to negatively affect me. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. And I promise I'm actually almost done. Liz, you could play. I'll give myself my own cue that <laughs> I'm done in five minutes. Let me give you an example of this, right? You ever have something negative happen to you and you decide in that moment in the midst of the negativity that the smartest thing that you could do right now is throw yourself a pity party? Anybody ever experienced that before? Right? Or it's like, oh, poor me. You just had it so hard. Nobody appreciates you or loves you or cares about you. <laughs> You're never going to be free. You're never going to get out of this. You're never going to be wealthy. Your body is never going to be better, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm here for you. That's how mine look. I don't know how yours look, but... <laughs> But I realized what, what is the demonic things that I'm fighting against? That's what I'm fighting against. I'm fighting against the, de the demon that's trying to whisper in my ear to pity myself. I'm whispering against the demon that's in my ear telling me that I should just pull the covers over my head because today life isn't worth living. I'm fighting against the demon that tells me that my tomorrow was going to look just like yesterday. So I'm not fighting against people. I'm fighting against my own thoughts, my own failures, and I'm fighting against where the enemy would try to use those things to lie to me about my tomorrows. And so I'm done with this. What does it look like to fight? Because that's what we all want to know. Because the Bible says it like this in Galatians. It tells me, be not deceived, for God is not mocked, that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. But what? If he faints, The blessing, everything we're talking about, everything that my dad is teaching us, everything that my mom is showing us, everything that God is speaking to you through worship, those promises in your life, the Bible says they're yes and amen. They're guarantees for you if you faint not. And so the question is, how do we fight? And the first thing that I realized is, from a natural example, what we do to fight is that just like any good boxer, we have to train. Now, one of the things about training is, is that you obviously, we know this, you train before the fight, right? I mean, how good would a boxer be if he starts his training in the ring on fight day, right? I mean, that would be just foolish, okay? But sometimes as Christians, what can happen is, is we're waiting till game day to prepare for the game. But what in training, in getting ready to fight the fight, in getting ready to be the people who God is calling us to be, what I'm doing is I'm realizing that I'm not waiting for the fight to happen. But I'm identifying areas of weakness in my own life through my past failures, my past insecurity. I'm identifying those things so I'm training to get ready for the next time I encounter the situation that now, where maybe before it would have taken me out, but now I'm ready to fight. 
So just like any good boxer, what I'm doing is I'm preparing for the fight before the fight happens. What? It's the hardest time to develop faith when you're in the middle of a battle. It's like you ever seen a YouTube video about somebody trying to put up a tent in a windstorm? It's so hard, it literally looks impossible. And I've done that so many times in my life is, is I've started to meditate on the scriptures and I've stepped out in faith because I'm simply responding to a problem or a situation. Instead, now I've learned that I need to prepare myself previous to the fight. I have to get myself ready. I think about my Aunt Jenny and, and with Julia when she went through the foot thing. What, that you, you said that uh, uh, the Lord had been preparing you up to the time that you were just so ready. You didn't know what you were, why you were even training, but you're in training because God is preparing you for a fight. So now when the battle is on, you have the goods in order to win the battle. I train... The Apostle Paul says that what? I buffet my body and make it my slave so that when my moment comes, I won't be disqualified. I won't be knocked out, but I will see the prize. The second thing I have to do is I have to know my opponent. It's one of the things you hear about all the time on sports teams is they watch the opposition team play. They study their moves. They study their tactics. They see what they're like so they can be prepared to know how to counteract their enemy, how to counteract the attack or the assault. I have to know who my opponent is because all that the enemy can try to do in my life, listen, he's got one tactic and that tactic is simple. All he's going to do, you can look at it in everything you've gone through in your life, all he's going to do is this. He's going to try to make you feel one of two things, that you aren't who God says you are and you can't have what God says you can have. That's the only strategy the enemy has against me. And so when I step into something, what I have to do is I have to be solid in being prepared and knowing that he's coming at me with one of two things. He's going to try to tell me that I'm not who God says that I am and that I can't have what he has. So now what? I've got a response. I know what to say to him when he tries to whisper to me that you're all alone, that it's never going to happen, that's going to fail. I know how to respond when I get sick or when something happens in my life. I know what to say because I know my opponent. I'm ready to counterattack before he even throws the first punch. And so what? When I know how to fight, when I know who I'm fighting, the battle is that much easier. And the third thing and then we're going to pray is this. I have to choose to continue to get up. I know. I know how failure feels. I know how disappointment feels. I know that it makes you want to give up. I know that it makes you feel like it could never happen. I know that it's easier to just Put that thing on the shelf and pretend it was never a part of your life than it is to get up and continue to fight. I, I know how that feels. But Galatians 6, 9 tells me that if I refuse to quit, you know, a, 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 a boxing match isn't won by the person who doesn't get knocked down. It's not won by somebody because they never get punched. It's not won by somebody because they never have any opposition. It's won by the person who gets knocked down four times but gets up five. 
It's won by the person who, in the midst of the difficulty and the opposition, it's won by the person who just continues to stand. And I think that's the simplicity of the gospel. Is the gospel simply tells us that if we can just not give up, we will win. I think that's why inherently in, in every human being, we have such an incredible desire. Like we love the story of the underdog, don't you? You ever watch a movie where the underdog wins in the end and it's not instantly your favorite movie, right? Like I think about Rudy. The movie Rudy is like that. I remember seeing it at John and Rose's house and it was literally this moment that changed my life forever. Because what I, my heart was awakened at the story of the underdog. It was awakened at an overcomer. Why? Because my very DNA is the DNA of an overcomer. My very DNA is the DNA of somebody who gets knocked down four times but gets up five. That's who I am. And that's why the scripture tells me that if I can just stand, if I can just stand, if I can just not quit, if I can just keep showing up, if I can just keep sowing, if I can just keep doing, if I could just keep loving, if I could just keep confessing, if I could just keep praying, if I could just keep reading, if I could just keep moving, if I could just keep trusting. What? You'll reap. We won't just be talking about the blessing. We'll be living in the blessing. We won't just be talking about being debt-free. We'll be debt-free. We won't just be talking about being healthy. We'll be healthy. We won't just be talking about raising the dead, but we'll be raising them. We won't just be talking about experiencing the glory, but we'll be experiencing. We won't just be talking about doing the great things that God wants to do. We'll be experiencing. Why? Not because we're perfect. Not because we don't ever get knocked down. Not because we don't have opposition. But simply because we refuse to quit. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. I refuse to be knocked out. I refuse to be counted out. Let's just close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this room right now. Lord, that you would come. Jesus, you're all that we need. Your truth is all that we need. I just want to invite you and we'll if you identify with this if you would say that yeah, I've been going through it I've been going through stuff I've been going through situations I've you know been feeling discouraged I've been feeling depressed I've been feeling like my life is never going to change I've been feeling like I'm sick of hearing this blessing teaching because I'm not experiencing it if that's you I just want to simply invite you to stand up. You can keep your eyes closed and everybody can keep their eyes closed. You don't have to look around. I just want to invite you to stand up. Count of three. One, two, three. Sometimes this is it. This is what it takes. This is where the stand happens. It happens in this moment where you identify and you choose to continue to move forward. You choose to keep going. So if you're around these people, I just want to ask you if you could just lay hands on them or stretch your hands to them. 
not a sign of judgment because we're obviously, each one of us have stood up at different times of our life. But we're now adding our faith to our brothers and our sisters. Let's just pray. Just release your, just your prayer language over them. We believe in that as the Lord is, he's removed the veil. He's released us from the bondage that we believe in that, Lord, what you're doing tonight, Father, is you release this message that I believe there's an anointing that's breaking us free from cyclical patterns, from breaking us free from past failures, that's breaking us free from depression and discouragement. Father, right now, Lord, as we stand together as a united family, Lord, you said where two or more are gathered together, there you are in our midst. So we know that we're not releasing empty words but that we're literally whispering promises into your ears because you are here with us now. So, Father, I'm making a strong declaration and declaring, Lord, over each and every person, every man and woman that's standing, Lord Jesus, that you would come with the axe, Lord, that even as I saw on Sunday with the sword, that you would come with the sword and that you would fight for us, that you would fight our battles. Jesus, we choose as an act of our will to release the control of these situations over to you. We choose as an act of our will to release the trauma, to release the pain, to release the anguish, to release the unforgiveness, to release the failure, to release the situation to you. And in its place, we choose as an act of our will to bind to ourselves the hope that says that you can, the hope that says you did, the hope that says you will. Jesus, we thank you for that. Lord, we take a stance, a strong stance. Lord, we dig our heels into the ground and we declare from this point, we will not move. We will not be shaken. That come what may, we will not be shaken. Father, right now I'm asking that you would release ministering angels just like the angels you released to Jesus in the wilderness, that you would release ministering angels to come and minister healing, minister deliverance, that you would, they would minister peace and joy, that they would minister hope, Father, to each and every person that's standing. Father, we know that in you is everything that we need in order to succeed. And so, Lord, I'm declaring right now, Father, angelic help, Lord, in each and every one of our lives. Father, angels to go and change situations, and angels to go and fix bodies, and angels to go for the turnaround, Father, I'm thanking you. Lord, you said that you go before us to prosper our way. You're in our future before we're even there. So we choose to trust you. Lord, this is it. We're drawing a line in the stand and saying, from this place, we will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Just say that to yourself, I will not be shaken. Say it again, I will not be shaken. Say this, Christ in me, I am enough. Say this, Christ in me, I am enough. Say Christ in me, I am enough. Lord, we release this revelation that you are in us, that you're making up the difference. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.